electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. A September to remember, maybe one to forget. The rapid rise in rate sending stocks sharply lower this month. And it's not the uh, only one catching our attention. What will it mean as we head into the final quarter of the year? Plus, a new playbook. That is what one China expert says the U.S. needs to deal with Beijing in the months and years to come. He will explain the new X's and O's straight ahead. And later... Taking on Big Pharma, shares of this little-known biotech soaring to their latest, to their highest level since going public today, all because of what it is doing in, you guessed it, the weight loss space. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Carter Worth, Bonowin Eisen, and Steve Grasso. And we start off with the last trading day of the month with a look at just how much things have changed in the month of September. And as we kicked off the month, the yield in the 10-year Treasury was less than 4.1%. It's risen nearly 50 basis points since then, hitting levels not seen nearly 16 years. Oil also in rally mode, jumping nearly 9% in September, its fourth straight month of gains. Volatility soared 30% to its highest since May. And meantime, stocks dropped with the NASDAQ, 100, with the NASDAQ and S&P locking in their worst months of the year. So as we get ready to kick off what's usually the strongest time of the year for the markets, what should we expect Tim, what do you expect? Well, I expect there's not going to be a Fed meeting that was supposed to be a nothing burger that turned into a big burger. Um, and I think that has something to do with the volatility we had here. I realize it was late into a month that's supposed to be a bad month. Uh, and we were already on the move. But I guess what I expect is that sentiment and positioning have already made adjustments based upon how bad September was. And, and, and I think they've already started to adjust backwards. Now, I realize, and Carter probably thinks about this all the time, as does Bono, and he's into, Bono and likes volatility, Carter thinks about technicals, and at the end of the day, those are the things that I think we can predict and set up. The fundamentals going into the last month of the year are, listen to who you want to listen to. Maybe we'll talk about Nike, who last night actually said that their consumer is more resilient. I think it bodes well for back to school. Um, I just think that we're going to continue to struggle with this interest rate dynamic, and longer rates are going to try to push higher. Um, PCE today was better. Inflation is, is more or less peaked, but it's stubborn. So I, I, I'm looking more towards positioning and sentiment, which got very extreme to the negative and are already starting to come back. I think it's going to be okay. I think that's right. It's about money flow at this point because not much has changed in the earnings multiple. Not much has changed in terms of revisions for the upcoming quarter. But what has been very volatile, of course, has been the currency market, dollars specifically, euro down, uh, the oil market and rates. And yet we know when you get to sequencing, when something gets too far one way, it's usually right to play it the other way. Hard to time, but that's, that's the idea. So consider this. We know that just three months ago, four months ago, we were at 3.5 on the 10-year yield, and oil was $65 a barrel, and consensus was hard landing. It's coming now. All of a sudden, that's out, and now it's higher for longer because oil is at 95 and rates are at, at 4.5. It, it's just extrapolating the current trend. Both are overdone. Dollars overdone, rates are overdone, and oil is overdone, and we should get some kind of mean. Reversal. You sound bullish, by the way. 
Well, but that's the thing. So <laughs> people say, wait a minute, if you think the dollar's going to roll over and rates are going to go down, why wouldn't you think that the S&P is going to go? Right. Yeah. Well, there's relationships. There's inverse or they're direct. If it was always so perfect, then the inverse relationship right now with the dollar going up, oil should be on its knees. Right. But it's not. It's These relationships are spurious. They don't always... Uh, go the way one would think. Yeah, and then try, I mean, trying to time it to the end of the end of the year is a bit difficult here. So like I, I think a lot of the, I tend to agree with a lot of the points here being that things have probably ebbed and flowed a little bit too much on the negative side for the interim, but I still think the long-term setup isn't necessarily bullish necessarily, right? Listen, money has been free for the last 15, 20 years. That's different. And the Fed is telling us that that is going to remain different. So I, I don't think the playbook of old buying the dips, per se, is necessarily the way that we're going to see this happen. You have, uh, you know, discussion around six-month CDs, uh, six-month CDs yielding around 6%. W what we thought initially was that we should be getting long duration on the end of the curve because things were coming to a plateau. And what you've seen now is a real move on the back end. That, to me, really puts pressure on the equity market because the whole Tina situation that we've had for the better part of five years or so is no longer a reality. It, it simply is not. And because of that, I think they're all alternatives. So even if you're not excessively bearish, just the fact that there is another asset class that will give you compelling yields and returns is enough for me to take at least some of the froth out of the market that we've seen recently. It does seem like it would be too good to be true to be able to work, work past, you know, free money is dead, that scenario, so quickly, Grasso, and with higher for longer, I mean, the longer rates stay higher, the sort of the, the burden gets bigger. Companies run up against a deadline in terms of they have to refinance their debt at some point, and they are going to face those higher rates. Same thing with the consumer. Yeah, I think for the, uh, for the large part, though, Melissa, a lot of companies are not in the situation where they have to refinance anytime soon. So if you look at the seasonality of the market, we're, we're at the end of the month, we're at the end of the quarter, um, and if, I, I think the stat is 84% of the time, if you're up going into the fourth quarter, between 10 and 12%, you're going to be up at the end of the year, higher. We're there. So that's your seasonality issue. Uh, that's playing for the bulls. The other thing is 30% of funds actually end their fiscal year at the end of September. So now they have a clean slate. So there's a lot of window dressing, uh, I would say going into the last, uh, the, the last week of this month and uh, obviously the end of this quarter. If all the stuff that you entered into the show with, uh, the, the oil, oil rising, rates rising, throw in the UAW, if any of those things get better, the market should move higher. I'm still in the bulls camp. I think I feel pretty well, uh, pretty good about that. We should have asked, uh, oh, is the mentalist where we're going to go? He did some extraordinary things question. last night. <laughs> yeah. The one question we didn't ask him. Well, the, the, the <laughs> correlation between stocks and bonds has been what I think the last couple of weeks have been about. And, and those, those correlations are uh, two and a half standard deviation. And what does that mean? It just means that uh, for traditional allocations, a 60-40 rule, Bloomberg's got an index. They all, everyone's got an index on this. So it's a 60-40 allocation equities to bonds. Um, when you have that kind of correlation, that tends to underperform. And, and what we're seeing for a lot of people is that 60-40 rule has underperformed in, in, in this year. And so while I think the headline numbers are pretty good on the index, uh, I think we have to think about people that might be chasing a little bit going into year end. But, but that ultimately, I, I think for 
allocation, the fact that you can grab uh, medium-term duration and lock in long-term rates is what a lot of investors should be thinking about. You haven't had that opportunity for a long time. And, and, and some of the volatility rates could go higher, and you may look at your bond prices and say, oh, no, but you're not really locking in for that bond price. You're, you're, you're really locking in for the yield that's attached to it. And I think that's why this market actually may be a little bit more defensive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of yields, um, so I tend to agree with Steve when it comes to the blue chips. They're not going to be in a position where they have to refi. And when they do have to refi, they're going to get premium rates anyway. But if you really look at the high yield, right, you look at um, HYG, for example, or if you actually want to look at the, um, the, the actual index, it's really outperformed and done quite well. But if you kind of look at the duration of those bonds, those have really pulled back to that three or four year period because they're, the, those uh, corporates were expecting that rates are going to fall and that they'll be able to refi at a, higher, at a, a much lower rate. That setup may get challenged in the next few months and years. And I think that that might be the shoe to drop in terms of credit at least widening some. And when you start to see credit widen, I think that's really when you start to see the hits to the equity market and, and other risk assets. I mean, ultimately, that's, the big mistakes come from leverage and credit, right? Yeah. So we've yet to have a real credit event. But if and as, uh, the nightmare scenario, of course, and it's hard to know what that would be, is if, of course, we really do start to stall on Main Street, right? You get some sort of economic weakness, and yet oil and rates stay high. That, of course, is the... It feels that, like we're on the cusp of that But right if now. you get that, that's, that is multiples contract dramatically. Right. Yeah, and, and that's, that's my view on where I, I just think discretionary looks challenged and some of those defensive sectors like healthcare, like Staples, uh, and I think now energy, I, I, I think truly are defensive. And, and I look at healthcare and Staples, and they've had a rough run. I mean, it's yeah. been, you're at the bottom of essentially one year range on Staples. And these aren't as big of a range as you're seeing in semiconductors when they move up and down. But I, I think it's a pretty interesting time for a lot of companies, whether it's a Hershey's or a General Mills, where uh, they re-rated to the upside through COVID in places they didn't belong. And the market has punished them as they should, especially as their cost base has come down. Those are opportunities here into the fourth quarter, and I think into next year. Grasso, can you still be bullish if you think the consumer is going to have trouble going into the holiday season ahead of shop? You know, all the shopping that is typically done in the fourth quarter, um, including, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, et cetera. Um, but if, they're, if the consumer is paying higher uh, gas prices, higher heating home, you know, heating prices for their home, higher prices at the grocery store, you name it, higher prices all around. Can you still feel good about the markets? Well, yes, up until the, you went off on that litany. But, but it's a, um, you know, when, when I look at the consumer, you can't have it both ways. We've talked about that the consumer is becoming more and more strapped, yet the economy is way too strong. So it's one or the other. I, I think that the consumer's resiliency has, has shocked and surprised uh, the economy. I, I, I would think that it's probably going to continue I think oil prices are going to be dropping. And if you look at oil futures, a year from now, they're pricing them at $84. So it's in backwardation. So if you're going out, the market sees that this is not a true supply-demand issue. This is a Russia-Saudi Arabia issue, issue, which means that it's quasi-temporary. And if you look at student loan payback, no one's going to be forced to be paying back student loans because you still have an administration that said that they're going to push for forgiveness. So there's a lot of reasons to be bullish and have faith in the consumer. Well, as markets wrap up a messy month, the chart master here is homing in on three areas of the market that are hoping to shake off an ugly year. So, Carter, what are the three areas? 
Right, so uh, rather than picking them myself, I just sorted by what is the worst. Let's look at the caboose, the rear. So the three worst areas of the market, of course, banks, utilities, and precious metal stocks. And you can see it here uh, very clearly, right? You have the market up uh, 11.7, and then in descending order, gold miners, as represented by the Philadelphia Gold and Silver Index, down 11. Utilities, the Dow Jones Utility Average, over 100 years old, of course, and then the KBW Banks bringing up the rear at 22. Let's look at the chart of all three of these areas or themes. There's not a one that's good, which is to say, I think even these that are the most beaten up go lower still. So you can see on the screen here, uh, a descent, converging trend lines. You can interpret however you want, but it's broken through to the downside. That's the bank index. Take a look at utilities. Uh, as measured again by the Dow Jones Utility Average. We've uh, just taken out those lows of almost a year and a half ago, uh, breaching the lower band. And then finally, of course, and you can see it here, is the Philadelphia Gold and Silver Index of important mining stocks and the pressure metals. All really quite similar in terms of what they've done. So big disparity with the market, and yet one might think maybe we should bottom fish, but I wouldn't. That's interesting. And, and what utilities uh, and banks tell you is rates are going higher. Um, and they tell you that we're worried about credit, we're worried about alternatives to utilities and some of that yield income and, and actually the pressure that's on utilities to have the kind of free cash flow that they're generating. With precious metals, it's, to me, it's, it's more or less a pretty simple, hey, the dollar um, kicked butt uh, in the last six weeks and, and essentially rose 6% off of a level where people thought it was actually going a lot lower. The correlations there are extremely high. Uh, everything that we're saying about this setup sounds like a world where, especially if inflation's kind of peaking, sounds like the time you want to buy gold. Uh, and I think forget the industrial uses of gold. Think about the, the monetary policy dynamics here. Um, I, I, I think you're buying GDX here, but I also think if you look at some of the other resources, uh, I actually think that resource names look pretty interesting here as well, uh, even integrated miners. And I actually think oil is going higher. So it's like an Alcoa or a BHP or Rio. That yeah. Kind of and, and, and look at iron ore prices. Right. They've really started to rally. It's not like China's been given that big of a shot in the arm, but I think we're seeing that across the commodity complex. If China shows a little sign That's, of life, then that could be a, a lot in terms of the turns here in multiple. Yeah, for, for uh, commodities, I, I tend to agree with you spot on in terms of precious metal companies. I mean, the, the, the dollar setup really has challenged that there, but I think that fundamentally that's probably where I would like to be. Banks, I'm not sure if it's that yields are going higher or if that credit is going wider. I would expect especially yeah. high yield credit to be wider given what we've seen in rates. Yeah, rates have moved higher, but that spread has kind of remained pretty tight, and I'm not exactly sure why. Steve, would you... Uh Dare to bottom fish an area that the chart master says not to bottom fish? No, I trust the uh, the chart master on that on, on that uh, well, premise that here. he's that he's making <laughs> that that, <laughs> that that he's making on there. But you know, there's so many correlations. Carter likes to talk about correlations, and when you look at that, when you look at gold, I can't help but look at Bitcoin, and you can't help but look at crypto, and then when you look at gold. Do you do the miners or the commodity? And I think that we've talked about this long enough on the show for you know a decade and a half now that when you think gold is going to be moving, miners actually have a two or three to one ratio. They move more than gold, both up and down. So if you think it's going higher, buy the miners. Miners or the metal? 
Uh, miners. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with that analysis on the beta. Uh, I think miners, I say this a lot about a lot of different types of miners. I just think these companies are run differently than they used to be. I think there's been a capital discipline. In fact, that's part of my argument why copper prices stay stubborn. I mean, Dr. Copper is an economic barometer, but if there's been such a lack of investment in, in copper mines and infrastructure, and I think across the precious metal space, we also don't see that, that M&A mania in the space that I think has forced these companies actually to do their job. So um, I like GDX. I like silver over gold, and, and I continue to think uranium goes higher, too. I have a question for you, Carter. Do you ever override how you read the charts with your fundamental belief in something? Never. 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 Because then what would be the point? I mean, you had to stick to your discipline. Unless you can get a magic trick going like last night, and then, you know, all that. That wasn't wrong. magic. That I mean, wasn't magic. Nose, nose. No. I mean, I mean, man, he's, he's, he was in our heads. I mean, Plus, he doesn't have a, a fundamental belief. <laughs> Dangerous place to be. Let's <laughs> move on to a developing story here. The deadline to avoid a government shutdown just hours away. CNBC's Emily Wilkins has the latest from Capitol Hill. Emily. Well, Melissa, lawmakers have spent all week voting on different spending bills, and they are no closer to finding a path to ending a government shutdown that is set to begin on Sunday at midnight. A stopgap measure that was backed by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy went down on the House floor today with 21 Republicans joining Democrats in defeating the measure. House Republicans are actually meeting now to discuss a path forward, and it's just not clear what that's going to be. Some members are pushing to keep the government shut down for weeks while they pass all remaining long-term spending bills. Others have talked about teaming up with Democrats to force a vote on the floor. Honestly, the quickest way to end a shutdown would probably be for the House to take up a bipartisan bill that the Senate's expected to pass on Monday. Senator Chuck Schumer called on McCarthy to bring the bill to the Senate. Listen to what he said this afternoon. The Speaker needs to abandon his doomed mission of trying to please MAGA extremists. And instead, he needs to work across the aisle to keep the government open. Things seem to be getting worse for the speaker rather than better. And it's time for him to try bipartisanship. McCarthy has said that he will not bring the Senate bill to the floor unless it contains something on border security. And senators are trying to work on an amendment, but they actually need to have one that's going to get the support of both Republicans and Democrats. And that's going to be really, really difficult. So at this point, we absolutely look headed into a shutdown. The question is how long it's going to last. The longer it does, the more of a hit this could be to the economy. Melissa? Emily, thank you. Emily Wilkins to the economy. We also won't get reads on the economy because the economic data won't be released. So we'll be sort of flying that. blind. Maybe that's bit. good. I mean, you know, I mean, at times it hasn't, See, it hasn't just, been. Just look at the chart. I, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I, it's, it's amazing to me as a guy that spent a lot of time in emerging markets where, you know, a government shutdown and political wrangling and political dysfunction is usually what causes cause sovereign CDS and spreads in these places. Right. And obviously their government bond yields to go skyrocketing. We've heard from every credit rating agency, and, and some have been more focused on the banks, but we've heard, and it started with Fitch, but we've yeah. definitely heard Moody's uh, late last week talk about sovereign credit in the context of a government shutdown. I'm not saying that they should. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm just telling you that's not been part of the calculus. I think that actually has a lot to do with some of the last, you know, 10 to 15 basis points of, of bond market. I mean, it underscores government dysfunction, right? Sure does. They, when they put us on credit watch negative, Grasso, and go <laughs> sadly, government dysfunction is not likely to go away or get much better anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had, what, somewhere around 20 uh, different shutdowns since 1980. 
Both parties have held responsibility for them at times. It's probably pretty evenly split. It's not going away. It's only more contentious. And the truth is there might be an 11th hour where the speaker has to actually bring something to the floor where you can get Democrats to vote for it. That would probably be a death knell for his speakership. And I think uh, it's going to get a lot more murky. But when you look at the average time span, Melissa, of these shutdowns, they're probably on average eight days long because they're widened out for that extra long one that we've had recently. So let's just hope that we don't see one that lasts, uh, you know, more than a week. Coming up, a new weight loss drug that could potentially enter the arena. Structure Therapeutics soaring after good news for its answer to Agobi and Ozempic will give you the skinny on why investors ah. are so excited. Plus, new trouble for the big three. The UAW announcing another wave of strikes as negotiations stall. We'll bring you the very latest straight ahead. Fast Money, be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla wrapping up the quarter in the red. The EV maker down nearly 5%, but still riding its high for the year, just about doubling in 2023. And as investors await Q3 production and delivery numbers, options traders are plugged in and charging into the name. Mike's got the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, this is often one of the busiest single stock options, and it was again today and actually traded above its own very high average daily volume. Single busiest stock, it represented about 14.5% of all single stock options volume today. And the bulls and bears are pretty evenly matched, but I think the bears just took it, beating out the number of bullish bets by about 1%. One of the examples that I have here, the October 240 puts, a buyer paid $795 for 1000 risking about $800,000 in premium, betting that Tesla could drop 7% or more over the course of the next three weeks. Yeah, there are a lot of planned factory, you know, downtime, shutdowns, et cetera, factory into the Q3 numbers. Carter, how does the chart look? Uh, you know, I have to confess, I've, uh, I was not paying attention. Can you tell me what well, it was? Oh, it was Tesla. I was, okay, good. Because I, was, I heard my phone go off and it was making noise. It was bothering me. I didn't want to bother anyone else. Well, so, by the way, my phone bothers it happens, people It happens. It happens. It happens. happens. Now, happy. The answer is it's a pair <laughs> yes, of twos. It's a pair of twos. <laughs> it, it's, it, the truth is it's the same price it was three years ago. It, it's acting a little better than the market, but is it really something you've got to push into or be short? No, just leave it alone. Yeah, well, uh, well I mean, 
listen, I, I tend to agree it's a pair of twos, but I feel like I always say that, and the stock continues to move, right? I think given where, it, where we are right now with the UAW, I would tend to think that you probably want to play this one for the long side, dare I say it, intermittently. But I do think this is, if there's a time that I'm going to jump in, it would likely be now, uh, probably for like a month long or so trade. I know you don't like it. Well, like his phone ringing? What is that? Is no, that a value? No, 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 well, that's no, likes the phone ringing <laughs> on TV. Well, well it wasn't ringing. Like, no one has I was my worried about ringing, it. So, um, um, no, no, the stock. I, I don't like the stock uh, from a valuation perspective, and I don't really have a strong view on the chart, but I do have a view on these delivery numbers, which is that I don't think they matter. I mean, we know the Shanghai shut. They matter, but, right. but we know they're going to be lower. We know the Shanghai shutdowns are a big part of it, and I, I, therefore I don't think it's that relevant. I mean, the street's already downgraded from 515, 520, 530 down to 450, 470. Um, there are people out there that also think that the price cuts are really all about them sweating other people. And we've seen yeah. from the, the competition that it's 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 going to hurt them if they have to cut margins. Now, uh, I, again, I, no, I don't like the stock, um, and and I've typically been very bearish on the stock. Um, I do think that they have a earnings profile that every other competitor would like to have. I do think, though, that this, it feels like the setup where if they beat on the numbers, there's a huge pop to the stock, Rosso. Yeah, 100%. And, and to Tim's point, I, I think he's uh, dead on. They were sweating other people up until the last couple of months now where they know that the other, other car makers that are trying to dabble in there in the EV space are hemorrhaging money. Now they have UAW problems. They don't have either one of those, and I think they're, they're back launched to the best position. And I'm, I'm not long the name right now, but I am long Rivian, and Rivian is actually starting to make a move in the charts too, and they're definitely second place, way, way, way distant behind Tesla. All right, Mike Co. thank you. Good to see you as always coming up. New strikes out of the UAW and one auto CEO barking back as negotiations hit a snag. More on the war of words next. Plus, the mixed signals Beijing is sending to the U.S. Should investors hope for a thaw in tensions or are things about to get even more heated? The details when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, closing out the quarter with a bit of a whimper after Republican spending plan failed to pass the House. The Dow and the S&P 500 both falling into the red, while the Nasdaq eked out a slight gain. For the month, the Dow was down more than 3.5%. The S&P and tech-heavy Nasdaq seeing even bigger losses, both, both posting their worst month of the year. Meanwhile, the UAW authorizing new strikes against General Motors and Ford today. Nearly 7,000 new workers walking off the job. Ford CEO Jim Farley slamming UAW leadership following the announcement as a war of words heats up. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with a blow-by-blow. Phil. 
Melissa, we are nowhere close to seeing a resolution in the strikes between the UAW and Ford, GM, and Stellantis. I'll be bringing up the speed in terms of the two new additional strike locations that were announced today. Two final assembly plants, one for Ford here outside of Chicago, one for General Motors in Michigan. The models impacted, we're not going through all of them, but for Ford, the Explorer, for GM, the Chevy Traverse, there are now 25,000 UAW members who are on strike and Ford CEO Jim Farley didn't wait long until after this happened before he called a briefing with analysts and reporters as you take a look at shares of Ford. And he said, among other things, that the UAW is holding the deal hostage over battery plants and the insistence of the UAW that those be a part of these negotiations. Here's what he had to say in terms of his frustration over these talks. Ford has stepped up with a historic offer. And bottom line, someone needs to tell the truth about what's really going on and what's at stake here. What he thinks is going on is that this strike was premeditated by the UAW and they're not in any hurry to solve it anytime soon. Well, head of the UAW responded by saying, I don't know why Jim Farley is lying about the state of negotiations. It could be because he failed to show up for bargaining this week, as he has for most of the past 10 weeks. If he were there... He'd know we gave Ford a comprehensive proposal on Monday and still haven't heard back. Also take a look at shares of GM and Stellantis. GM, which also was hit today with another strike, says that it is offering a historic contract to the UAW. As for Stellantis, it was not part of the strike actions today. The UAW says it is seeing progress in the discussions with Stellantis. Bottom line is this, Melissa, we think... I, and not just me, but the people in the auto industry think this is going to go on for some time. There's no indication that this is going to be resolved anytime soon. And what we saw today was real frustration on the part of Jim Farley and the other executives at Ford at how these talks have proceeded or not proceeded. Any impact now, Phil, in terms of the, the autos available for sale? I mean, have we seen that impact? Not not yet. We, we checked with J.D. Power earlier this week, and the inventory levels really haven't changed. Now, I suspect that that's going to change, let's say, over the next two, three weeks, because you have more models that are impacted. And this is where you really start to see slower. You know, there's no deliveries coming from these plants that are now uh, seeing workers walk off the job. So it's going to take a little bit of time, but this is where you start to see it kick in, I'd say, by mid-month. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Never a good sign when both sides call each other liars. Um, Bonwin, how do you feel about the autos? <laughs> Although, so, not so uncommon. <laughs> when you asked me this before, I was saying, listen, Ford still hasn't been impacted. And clearly, from Fairley's response, I think he felt like perhaps they had dodged the, the big, greater part of this bullet and now are getting hit squarely with it. Listen, the EV situation, the, the, the battery factories, I think that's a non-negotiable. Right. I think Elon Musk has come out and said it. And I think it, it really sets up for them to not be competitive in the EV space. So I really think if, if that's really going to, going to be the sticking point, I don't see a resolution anytime soon. And I'm now a bit more embarrassed than I was previously about Ford being that they had avoided this whole situation. But the fallout is now affecting them. And if really the sticking point is EVs, I don't see how they're going to make progress into being a player in that space. The remarkable thing is, of course, looking out over the past 30, 60 days, Ford and Jammer hunch. The real pressure has been on the luxury end. So Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Aston Martin have really sort of hooked down. Um, I think there's a message there that independent of the U.S. issue, of course, is that the, the slowdown is coming. Mm -hmm. 
I, I dig Jim Farley, not just because he's a Hoya, but because I think he is honest. I actually think he's out there and he's called out Ford for doing a lot of things wrong over the last few years. And, and also this week, Ford decided to suspend their blue o, blue o, blue oval uh, EV plant effectively. Um, and, and they're doing it for a couple of reasons. And Bono, you're right. I mean, I, I think they're making a statement. The implications here are they cannot be competitive based upon the demands from the UAW OEM dynamics. And it's going to add a thousand bucks to a battery, possibly. So um, interesting. Coming up, one step forward, two steps back. The latest parries in U.S.-China relations and what it means for your money. We've got your China playbook next. And CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage. Here's Shopify's general counsel. Given that it's Hispanic Heritage Month, one of my most profound mentors was uh, Justice Sotomayor. I was able to clerk for her when I graduated law school when she was on the Second Circuit. And I remember all that she taught me, not only from a academic, how to be a good lawyer standpoint, but from a human empathy standpoint. And really paying it forward is an important part of how we all partake in a community. Welcome back to Fast Money. A slew of headlines out of China hitting the airwaves as the country prepares to kick off a big holiday week. Apple raising concerns over new rules that could restrict foreign apps in the country. China's Trade Council also asking the U.S. to reconsider its tech ban and company executives feeling the heat. One detained while another is banned from leaving the country. Let's bring in CNBC contributor DeWardrick McNeil to help break it all down. He's the managing director, senior policy analyst at Longview Global. DeWardrick, great to have you with us. Uh, on top of this, uh, President Xi, President Biden are expected to meet face to face sometime in November. Um, I'm wondering, how, how do you read all of this? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Melissa. Look, I think if you're watching China right now, it is mass confusion and a contradiction in terms of what we think China uh, wants, listening to some of the rhetoric versus the actions. And so if you're a business now trying to figure out the direction, uh, it's extremely, extremely hard uh, to do. I mean, you raised Apple as a perfect example. The hits keep on coming for Apple. And in this case, as you point out, uh, the government wanted Apple to remove uh, Facebook, uh, X and Instagram from the China App Store. Uh, these platforms cannot be accessed through the web, but through a VPN, uh, they can. And they're unregistered foreign apps, Melissa. Uh, these these companies are not going to register because now they become liable for cross-border data transfers. You spoke about exit bans. Uh, you know, most of these exit bans are coming from uh, uh, co uh, countries, uh, companies doing due diligence and risk assessment. So if you're a company trying to invest in China, you need these services, but your people are being targeted. So it's a massive confusion. I would not want to be the one making decisions on whether to stay or go right now. Do you read this as sort of a ramping up because they are scheduled to meet, you know, a, a sort of proof that we are tough. We can really make your life difficult. Um, and so when we meet, you listen to us. Yeah, look, I think what is, is happening here, uh, to the degree that any of us can know, is, you know, there are some real challenges about the way forward in China. Uh, there's pretty much acceptance that the old development model, the old growth model, uh, property sector, uh, uh, tons of, of exports, that model is broken. Where she wants to take the economy is in the high tech space. 
uh, high-tech manufacturing, uh, semiconductor chips. Uh, so that's where he wants to go. The problem is there's concern that there may be systemic risk and contagion in the old sector. And so he's, he's trying to slowly land that plane while taking off. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not happening because he also has concerns about stability and national security risk. So it's a, it's a massive confusion. But I think what he's really trying to sort out is the domestic challenges at home and trying to prepare himself for long-term competition with the U.S. And a lot of these things are not congruent. In fact, they're contradicting one another. Wardrick, uh, when you look at the companies in China themselves and the ones that have been under the most pressure, we talk about them on the show, whether it's an Alibaba or some of the, the, you know, the, the national champion tech companies, uh, how do you view that environment? Because the things you're talking about is they could be the vehicles, and I realize that on some level they've gotten ahead of the state and that's been part of their problem. Um, do you think the environment Based on what, everything you just said, and I think it's, I, I totally agree with these dynamics of kind of old school, new school economy stuff. Um, shouldn't these companies be part of their plan to advance the, the technology at these places? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, uh, Tim. The goal is not to kill them off completely. The goal is to bring them into compliance and make sure that they are moving in the same direction as the party state's development strategy for soft tech. For hard tech, this is where most of the focus, most of the investment, I think most of the government resources are going to go. The hard sciences, the things that we've been talking about. You know, how does China become self-reliant in chip manufacturing? You know, what's going to happen with advanced manufacturing? So to the degree that soft tech can be useful, and I think we're seeing them all come along, that's fine. But, you know, they're not going to be killed off, but they're not going to have the sort of, uh, of clout, the sort of muscle and resonance that they used to have in this new model. DeWardrick, got to leave it there. Thanks so much. Great to see you as always. DeWardrick McNeil of Longview. We've got a news alert here on the Biden administration's effort to negotiate drug prices with Medicare. Eamon Javers has got the details. Eamon. Melissa, that's right. It's a courtroom loss now for the pharmaceutical industry and the Chamber of Commerce as a federal judge has decided to decline to block uh, the Biden administration from implementing those drug price negotiations. Remember, that's been a key uh, promise of the Biden administration, that they would uh, negotiate drug prices in Medicare uh, and bring down the cost of drugs overall. Certain drug prices would be eligible starting very soon. The federal judge now uh, declining to stand in the way of that process. So that is a win for the Biden administration, a loss for the pharmaceutical sector. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers, a lot of the drugs on that list um, are basically given out or, or sold with tremendous discounts already. But in the longer term, as more drugs are added to Part D that are eligible for negotiation, that could be forced obsolescence for a whole new other crop of drugs. Yeah, and, and there's a principal issue here, too. Obviously, this is yeah. where the drug companies have to dig in. And, and it's interesting. At first, it started with Merck, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot more unity. Um, and it's as you say, if you, you know, analysts shouldn't be doing a whole lot to their EPS forecast for 2425. Um, this is an issue out beyond. And, and um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel like the drug companies should be, warded, be rewarded for their R&D within reason. And again, no one cares about my view in this. Ultimately, I think you have a case where that is the prevailing dynamic here. That's how it's going to play out. Coming up, a new wage war brewing in California, and this time it's not a strike that's pushing wages higher. A live report on how the government is being used to push up paychecks. Stick around, we're fast money into.
Welcome back. Fast money for fast food workers in California as minimum wage is set to jump to $20 an hour. This new record level didn't come because of a worker strike or a threatened labor action. It came from government legislation. Could other states now be forced to follow California's lead? Kate Rogers joins us now with all the details. Kate. Hey there, Melissa. This one was a win, of course, for fast food workers in the state. As you said, taking the minimum wage for workers up to $20 an hour on April 1st at chains with more than 60 locations nationwide. It was brokered, though, by a fast food coalition that included the SEIU and advocates from the National Restaurant Association and International Franchise Association. There are also further hikes to come, but the deal also removed provisions that restaurant advocates were concerned about, including joint employer liability. It gets California to the highest in the nation, and there are other efforts for similar legislation in Maryland and Minneapolis that would create similar fast food councils to determine wages and conditions. The SEIU called this a win, with Mary Kay Henry telling me they're not stopping with California. Take a listen. That's why this fast food sector council is so significant in the state of California, why we need to replicate it in other states, and why we need to transform national labor law to actually make it possible to hold multinationals corporations accountable and get them at the bargaining table to make decisions on wages and benefits. This one will certainly be one to watch, Melissa. Back over to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers, 20 bucks an hour is already higher than the base minimum wage in the state of California, which is already higher than many states' minimum wages across the country. And the first thing that I thought of is if you're a fast food worker, you go to work for these big chains, which now have to go $20 an hour. You don't work for the mom and pop, the smaller restaurants, but they're going to have to chase and raise what they're paying in order to track workers. I mean, it makes it very difficult for the smaller businesses out there as well, as well as, of course, raising labor costs in general. Yeah, it's unintended consequences. I think I think you hit it on the head. And just think about it. When we were all younger people, when your your first job is usually in a fast food place or in the food industry, and that's how you get your experience. And uh, employers are willing to hire you because you don't know anything. Now, once you lift that level to twenty dollars. An hour, certain people want to take those jobs away from the younger generation. If you just look at the fast food casual market, all those stocks look terrible with the exception of CMG. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Steve Grasso. Rivian back above its 50-day moving average, hoping this is the real breakout. Tim? Tim's Pfizer. You know, be, be the trend today up 3.3%. Terrible chart. Uh, I think the valuation is compelling. Carter. I'm going to do a double. I'm going to go with Tim's Pfizer terrible chart, but also another terrible chart. TLT playing for the bounce. Bono in. Great chart, but I think it's going to meet some challenges. Structure therapeutics. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 